game home and then head out to Los Angeles. Kata slips it for Pato. Would this be something if it goes in? And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Orlando Soccer Show, where this week we actually get to talk about good things. We're going to ignore the bad thing. Just totally, it didn't happen. Just moving on from the bad thing, talking about all good things, saying all positive things here on the Orlando Soccer Show, the Orlando Positive Show. That's what we should be called that. Definitely, definitely called that. All right. Great start to the show. Hey, uh, I'm Austin David. Uh, Kyle Foley here is with me. And we're going to talk about soccer. Yes, we are. And we are probably not going to stay positive for long, but I appreciate the effort. What do you mean? There was only good things that happened this week. Well, yeah, there were there were uh, recently very good things. Uh, there were some other not so great things, but, you know. I, yeah. There, 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 was, there was only good things, Kyle. All right. I'll, I'll buy your game. I'll, I'll smell it. Shut up, bitch. I stand, I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> Only good things. Only good things. Um, here's the thing. Orlando City won against the Philadelphia Union, and the Orlando Pride won against Angel City. Uh, OCB did not play. So that that was great. There was that one thing on Saturday against Montreal in Montreal. Yikes. Um, that, yeah, yeah that was, that was fucking thing sucks. That's a way to put it. I think that it was the worst performance that I've seen from Orlando City in a long time. Like, I can't, I cannot remember when Orlando City just looked like they didn't care. Wouldn't say that they didn't care, it just looked like they didn't care. Well, it showed on the scoreline. They lost 4-1. to one. Now, granted, uh, a few of those goals came towards the very end of the game. It was 2-1 in the 81st minute before Joaquin Torres scored the third, and then uh, Zachary Brogillard scored the fourth in the 84th, which was bad. Um, but it is kind of funny to look at the the game, who played in that game, and then who played in Tuesday's game and how different the performances were from some of those players and also how not different some other performances were. Alexandra Pato um, on Saturday was not great and then on Tuesday was not great. And he's, sadly, he's just kind of had a, like, dip. And I guess we'll start with, with Pato because his... I don't know. He like there wasn't a lot he he did in Montreal because well, there wasn't anything offensively going for Orlando in that game. Like just statistically, Orlando had two shots with one on target and that one on target was the goal. Meanwhile, Montreal had 20 shots and 10 on target and four goals. So that that really tells you exactly what you need to know with that game. Um, but Pato didn't. There, there was a lot he couldn't have done in that game uh, in Montreal. But the 
the Philly game is a different story, and we'll get to that as as we go. We'll we'll keep going with this this Montreal game, but when you look at the starters, um, Thomas Williams got his first start as a center back in the league, and he you can see the promise and the potential, but you can also see the rawness and the the young talent that he has, and just it wasn't the right situation for him. He had played a couple minutes as a sub, and he started the game against Tampa Bay. But this was his real first test, and Montreal is a different team than the last time Orlando played them. And it showed. Montreal looked a better team. They looked a more dangerous team, and Orlando just didn't. I think Montreal probably had more of a bone to pick with Orlando, considering how last season ended at their house. So I think their fans kind of buoyed them along a little bit. And you could see, like, they were celebrating after the game like they had won a championship or something. Like, they were all excited, all hyped up. They were celebrating. I saw a video from Kamal Miller in the locker room where they were, like, all banging on the tables and everything. Yeah, it was a big win for them. But... For Orlando, it was just bad. Like, it was just not a good game for Orlando. Um, no, I, I do want to mention, though, you mentioned you couldn't remember the last time there was a game like that. We, we did have the Red Bull game uh, just two games prior, which statistically, at least, they both they both looked as bad. I don't think the Red Bull game was as bad on the field as the Montreal game. Mm. I know you mentioned players looking like they had given up. I think that was kind of the key difference in the Montreal game and that that worries me a bit just in terms of the because it was you're right it was the whole team it wasn't like it was a player specific thing and it was very worrisome that you, we you could get that kind of those kind of hot and cold performances where the team just completely shuts down yeah and and that's the the worrisome thing now granted i think the 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 way the lineup was set up against Montreal was supposed to be very defensive minded Thomas Williams was literally the only other healthy center back other than Brandon Hackenberg, who from OCB signed a two-game deal as a uh, you know very last-minute signing, but didn't end up playing in either of those games. So it means nothing that he signed in the grand scheme of things, to be completely honest. But the loan was good for him. He's been training with the MLS team basically since he came in during preseason. He doesn't re- he doesn't really train with OCB ever, so he is kind of already an MLS team player just based on his training habits. But he didn't play, so it doesn't matter. Um, the point of the matter is, from the lineup standpoint, is they had Sebas Mendes and Cesar Araujo in the midfield. And those are two very defensive-minded midfielders. Uh, When you don't have a player like, say, even an Andres Perea or Junior Urso, who maybe foray into the attack a little bit more, you lose an extra player moving forward. And I think with the way that Montreal was set up in their three-back formation, you need to send numbers forward if you're going to break that down. Otherwise, you're going to do exactly what Orlando did, which is two shots and one on goal. When you have the the three backs, you basically overload the wings with the the two wing backs. You put more players forward, 
But also, when you're transitioning into defense, you have more players back. You have a five back plus the, the three midfield block. So when you have eight players tracking back to defend and then to counter, if you're not sending numbers forward and you just have players sitting back, you're not going to get anything offensively. And that's why I think when you look at how they played it against Philadelphia, it was so different because they had Andres Perea who forayed forward a little bit. They had Junior Urso who forayed forward. He was playing as a right winger in this game. So I think you, you had a different personnel, which seemed to be better. And I guess we'll transition into this Union game because, yeah, they were playing against the backups for the Union, but the backups for the Union are really good. Um, I, I, I feel like as the best team in the East, the Union have a, I wouldn't say embarrassment of riches, but they do have a lot of players that are they could be starters on another MLS team and yet they're backups on the union because they just, they have a lot of depth, you know, um, Jack Elliott, who captained the team, he subbed out at halftime for Jacob Glesnes. You know, they brought in Jose Martinez. They brought in, uh, Julian Carranza. They had Ale Badoya on the bench who didn't play. They brought in Sergio Santos, Kai Wagner. All of these guys are MLS players, but those guys are mainly their starters. The guys that that actually started, like Paxton Aronson, I mean, God, he he could be a starter for uh, any MLS team, and he started a, a number of different games for Philly. But you know, lately, he's been coming off the bench. And then you have guys like Matt Real, who could be a, a starting fullback for the the league. Stuart Finley, who scored the goal for the Union, he's a, a Scottish center back who could be, you know, a, a starter in, as center back, but he's not. So when when people say, oh, yeah, Philly was just playing their backups, I, 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 I look at it like that, but also I don't discredit the backups for the Union as much, if that makes any sense. Now, it still was a lot closer than it should have been, all things considered, for Orlando City, but they were also playing a number of different players that maybe weren't normally playing, like Andres Perea. He played the full 90 minutes, and he hasn't played a full 90-minute game in a while. And I think a lot of people are treating him like Juan. And by that, I mean, oh my god, he scored this 30-yard banger. All is forgiven now. Just, just because one performance and one goal is scored doesn't mean you forget all the other stuff that he did throughout the game, even. Because... Like, statistically speaking, he was okay. He wasn't great. He was good. He was okay. And and in terms of his general, like, distribution, he was very active in the midfield. You know, he didn't, he didn't put too many passes wrong. There were some plays where he missed some challenges or maybe didn't take the right pass where he could have. And again, he hasn't played in a while, so you kind of forgive that a little bit. But there's just... Other moments throughout other games, heck, going back to the Montreal game, he gave away the fourth goal. Like, he gave away the penalty in in Portland. Like, there's still moments that you can say, right, this wasn't good for him. But just because he scored the one goal, which is great, you don't forget everything else. Much like Juan last night, who had a breakaway in the 93rd minute to put the game away, 
And instead of passing it to Urchon Kara to tap in, he tried to round the keeper himself and had it saved by Matt Freeze. And then that led to a 93rd minute free kick for Philly where Mason Stadahar had to come up with a last second save to keep the game level. If he puts that, if, if Huan passes that and they put it away, they don't have to worry about that. But instead, it had to come down to the last second, to the last kick of the game. So again, players can have good performances and bad performances. That doesn't mean they are absolved of everything or the complete opposite. So that that's my little soapbox rant for today. Uh, the rest of the game for Orlando, uh, I was... I was impressed with Mikey Holiday to a certain extent. I think for for him, it's the same situation as Thomas Williams, where he was he looked good. You could see the promise. It's just it's not a hundred percent all there. And that he was getting into positions. He was getting space. I think that the the Philadelphia team was kind of undercounting how much forward he he would have gotten. Uh, just based on not having seen enough film on him, but he played a lot like Huan, who was just basically playing as a wing back rather than a fullback. And he was getting into dangerous positions. He was putting in crosses, but there were just so many opportunities that he could have taken, and he took the wrong decision. Like, instead of passing down the, the wing, uh, there was some instance where I remember he was trying to, he was dribbling forward, Somebody was making a run in front of him. He saw the run, but rather than trying to take the risk of taking the pass, he instead just passed it backwards to play it safe. Because earlier in the game, he tried that same thing, but there was less of a gap, and he just turned it over and and immediately started a counterattack going the other way because he did it in his own half. This time it was in his attacking half, and he, instead of trying, it didn't. And I think that's just going to come with with time. You know, he's going to learn when to make plays, when to make runs. But like at times during the game, it looked like he just didn't know his teammates. But he, he trains with them all the time. So I, I think he just needs more game time. But you definitely can see that Mikey Holiday is a product for the future just based on his, his attacking ability, his speed. Uh, he put in some very good crosses. I mean, he was part of the reason they scored the first goal in the first place. His cross led to the first goal. So I think that there's some promise for Mikey Holiday, but I think he needs to get some time with OCB. That That's really what he needs. Um, hopefully he gets that sometime soon. But right now, with the, the way some of the injuries are going, they they need him with the MLS team just as uh, some depth. Um, outside of that, I thought Cesar Araujo and Junior Urso were very good. I thought that Araujo is just... he's so good at winning fouls it is kind of wild he won five fouls last night in league play he still leads the league in fouls one he's just very good at at positioning his body and and kind of forcing players to make decisions and commit fouls so i i think that he is a very good player and for orlando's sake it's so hard to try and figure out who they want to play in that midfield role because they have Sebas Mendes, they have Andres Perea, they have Junior Urso. I mean, just to get Urso on the field, they had to play as a right winger today, or like the the other day. Like that that that's kind of wild to think about, just based on how they want to get players on the field. Let's go back to Pato. 
because we talked about him earlier and how his his passes and his accuracy was was not great in the Montreal game, but it was even more prevalent in the game against Philly because when you look at his passing chart, which I'll tweet out uh, later, everything going into the final third was off. Everything. Like, there was no accurate pass into the final third. And I don't know. I, I think with, with Pato, he's taken a step back from where he started the season. I thought that he was a bit more dangerous. He was getting into better spaces. He was making better passes. Um, he just seems a little bit off over the last couple games. Maybe he's just more comfortable in certain positions. He was playing as a 10, more or less, throughout this game. I just don't think that's his, that's his position. You know, he can play it, but the way his passes are comparatively to Mauricio Pereira, who is a natural 10, it's not the same. Uh, outside of that, this was interesting. And, and, and I asked about this after the game to uh, the communications team. What happened to Benji Michel? Well, he was a coach's decision for this Philadelphia game. He was not on the bench, and he was not in the uh, 18. Now, that could just be because they needed to get him some rest, which, fair, there's been a lot of games lately. But he didn't have a great game. He hasn't had a, a great couple of games the last couple games. So it makes you wonder a little bit. I, I wouldn't read too much into it, but it does make you think. You know, they, they decided to put Jack Lynn on the bench rather than Benji as an attacking option. Now, they also had, uh, you know, Sebas... Mauricio and Juan, as well as Zhao, who ended up coming in. But in terms of attacking options, it was Jack Lynn and Mauricio. Mauricio is not a goal scorer. Jack Lynn is very unproven at the professional level. So it was interesting to not see Benji within that lineup simply because of, of his speed and his ability to kind of affect the game offensively. So that's all. Those are my thoughts, Kyle. I've been talking for a while. Say <laughs> something. What do you think? No, I think I think you're mostly right. I think mostly. Well, no, I actually think you're Tyler. I don't really have like a hot take <laughs> to disagree with you, which is kind of disappointing because I really wanted to have one. But it's just, no, I mean, because I'm right all the time. I know. Well, <laughs> maybe 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 I'll go that far. Yeah, ninety five percent. It's fine. Sure, we can. We we stick with ninety five. <laughs> That's fine. I'll give you that. Um, but yeah, uh, expected goals for Orlando one point two two, Philadelphia point five eight. Um, the way Philly played, they were dangerous and yet not. Like they they only had three shots on goal. Which actually they had four shots on goal because one of them went in. Uh, Mason Sadahar had three saves. And all things considered, Philly, I can see how Philly is a dangerous team, even with the, the rotation that they had in, inside. Um, they have some really good ball players. They have very fast players. I mean, heck, Corey Burke and Sergio Santos and Julian Carranza are menaces up top. But, yeah, Orlando was able to, to do well defensively. Rodrigo Schlegel had... I would say probably one of his poorer games for Orlando. Um, 
but I think it's just I think his constant playing has finally caught up to him like he just looks exhausted I feel like uh in this game against Toronto they might do another Thomas Williams sighting and give Rodrigo a break uh to pair with Robin Janssen but who knows maybe they'll maybe they'll start Hackenberg I don't know way too early in the week to tell you um, I'm not. Ex- I'm not expecting it, but no. I suppose. It's, yeah, I, mean, I, I guess. I guess it could always be wrong, but we know how uh, it is. <laughs> so rare. All right. Uh, last thing from this Orlando City game. Congratulations to Mason Stadahar, who proposed to his girlfriend Tatiana, and she said yes. She said yes. Um, very exciting. After the game, he made the final save of the game. Uh, celebrated with his teammates. His girlfriend came out, ran on the field. He got the ring from one of the training staff folks, got on one knee and proposed, and she said yes. So uh, quite a whirlwind last 20 minutes of the the game where he makes a save, celebrates, and then was, you know, very, very happy. Uh, I'll, I'll play uh, the first couple seconds of the, the uh, interview we did with him after the game just because – very wholesome moment uh yeah i got engaged she said yes um yeah i was uh more nervous than before the game for that than i was wow headspin but she said yes so congratulations from all of us um we're gonna open the floor we'll start with austin mason you had a very whirlwind last 20 minutes you make that last save right at the end and then you propose um first off did you keep the ring on you the entire time or did you get it from somebody else and, I, and I gave it to one of our athletic trainers to hold on to during the game and then uh just in terms of the, the game overall yeah. uh especially towards the end of the game last 20 minutes uh, a lot of pressure coming from uh philadelphia what did yeah. you kind of tell your defense as as more pressure was coming and they were getting more of the ball yeah just to be safe and, and stay concentrated you know obviously like you said it's a whirlwind so it's just about staying focused and, and kind of centered in those last couple of months. So everyone can uh, make the plays they need to. Congrats to congrats to him. Yeah, very 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 excited for Mason. Um, you know, it's 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 always. I mean, can you imagine going through an entire game like that, being like thinking, "Oh my God, if I concede this goal, I can't propose to my girlfriend." Like, how bad would this be if I concede a 90th minute goal and then propose? Like, I'm sure he wasn't thinking yeah. about that necessarily, but it's also like, I'm sure a part of him absolutely was thinking. Yeah, about yeah, yeah. That. like to 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 remain focused on the game while also knowing what could happen after the game. Just a lot to think about. Yeah, it'd, uh, be a little, be a little stressful. But uh, but you know they they won, held out. Had he had that nice little, nice little save there. Oh yeah, yeah. And now he's engaged. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so congrats to Mason, and um, they play Toronto this weekend. Good old Toronto FC. So here's the the fun thing about Toronto. Um, they, they're they not bad, but they're not good, if that makes any sense. Yeah. That so, makes sense. I, I they're, they're really hard to figure out. Because they're well. First off, they're still missing uh, one of their biggest signings so far this season. Because he, you know, hasn't shown up yet. 
I, I think once they get Lorenzo Insigne into the team, they will be much, much more dangerous offensively. But right now they're well, they're they're relying on a lot of different uh different players to try and do things for them and it's just not working out. I mean, the the last game they started um Jesus Jimenez, who had a great start to his Toronto tenure. I mean, they also have like a number of academy prospects playing. They also have Shane O'Neill as their starting center back, so that just tells you all you need to know. Oh, and also, just to mention, they had two goalkeepers on their bench for the game against Vancouver last week. So that's how you know things are really bad, when you have two goalkeepers (laughs) on your bench because you're just so decimated by suspensions and injuries. Yeah, I would say it's usually not great. Well, uh, good chance for Orlando to do something against them. That's all I can say. That is that is true. Um, it again goes to we'll we'll actually see if Orlando manages to do it. But it's another chance for Oscar to beat old Bob badly. Yep, and I said it like that, is... that for a reason. <laughs> so uh, Toronto is an interesting project as, as a team right now. So it's. Uh, I know you mentioned Sige coming in over the summer. I think that's going to take longer to gel than they would like. I think the the question for them is going to be, what can they do over the next couple? Well, put it uh, to you this way. The only team worse than Toronto right now is Miami and Chicago. So, yeah. It's weird to think Chicago is the worst team in the Eastern Conference right now because the first couple games they were like, not conceding anything and they were doing really well and then all of a sudden it just completely i wouldn't say completely fell apart but like their last couple games basically since the orlando city game they drew they lost in the u.s open cup to a league one team then they've lost their last three in a row and they got blown out by a injury hampered atlanta united four to one it is but hey they got Chris Mueller now. Yeah, that'll uh, that'll that'll do great for them. Yeah, and, and and Mueller, by the way, he did play in the game against Atlanta against some of his former teammates and Alex Dion, uh, who and had to end up coming in for uh, Miles Robinson, who tore his Achilles and is probably out for the World Cup, which is bad. But um, Dom Dwyer did not play. Uh, though Mueller and Dwyer did trade jerseys after the game. Interesting. Yeah. But anyways, that's that's it for Orlando City. Um, game this Saturday at 3. Isn't that lovely? 3 o'clock. Good, nice afternoon game up in Toronto. That's perfect. I can watch right before I go to bed. <laughs> hey, but you know what else is happening this weekend? Probably right as you go to bed. What else is what else is happening? The Orlando Austin? Pride are hosting the Kansas City Current. Oh. Yeah. Tell me more about the Orlando Pride. Well, first off, the Orlando Pride won a game, which is the first time in 14 games. First time since September eleventh, twenty twenty one, that they have three points on the books. That is an accomplishment in and of itself. Amanda Cromwell getting her first win as a Pride head coach 20 minutes away from where she coached six months ago at UCLA. 
Not only that, but a lot of the Orlando Pride players have ties to Southern California. So there was a lot of support for the Pride at Bank of California Stadium, including some of the Pride's former players. Um, I saw Jody Taylor and Taylor Korniak, who played for San Diego the day before, show up to the game. They made the drive from San Diego to L.A. to take in some of their friends playing in that game. There was a number of the celebrity owners for LAFC that were there. They had uh, a lot of the family members from some of the players who went to USC, UCLA, Santa Clara, etc. So there was a lot of support for the Pride in this game, and it certainly showed because a lot of the players, when I talked to them after the game, they said it felt like a home atmosphere in some ways where people were cheering us on. You know, there, there were occasionally more cheers for us than there were for the other team, mainly because they were up one nothing for almost the entirety of the game. Uh, Sydney LaRue scored in the third minute. Gunny Yon's daughter put a cross into the box. Didi Heracic, the goalkeeper for Angel City, misplayed the ball. She dove out for it, and Sydney LaRue was right on the back post to tap it in. She almost missed the tap-in because um, she put it kind of too close to where the defender was but the defender was momentum was already carrying her into goal so but yeah it was it was a good game for Orlando uh they had to defend for 87 minutes which was not great but they did well and one of the things that Amanda Cromwell did was shift out the defense a little bit in order to get a bit more movement and uh pace they took Carrie Lawrence who is a fullback by trade and threw her in at center back while they moved Megan Montefusco, who's normally a center back, into the midfield. And honestly, it worked really well. They had Celia as the right back, Carrie Lawrence, Tony Presley as center backs, and then Courtney Peterson at left back, where they had Megan Montefusco along with Michaela Clough in the midfield. And yeah, it, it worked. You know, I wasn't sure how it would work considering that Kerry had never really played in that position, but it worked. And Kerry and her speed can make up for when balls get behind the defense. And, you know, she's, she's a defender by trade still, so the, the principles are still there. And her and Megan have a, a very good relationship, so they're able to kind of combine and, and, and talk. Uh, I think Megan was helping her through it while Kerry was... was yelling out advice to her in the midfield I think you could see that more often you know if it ain't broke don't fix it kind of mentality you could start seeing a lot more kind of variations to that lineup depending on who's healthy and available um, I think because they didn't have Maggie Doherty Howard available who's been important into their attack um, it kind of forced their hand into moving Megan up but it also worked. So if it works again against Kansas City, maybe that makes the, the lineup changes a bit more interesting as they go forward because having that mobile center back to be able to cover in the back, I think is is incredibly important to a team's success. If you look at like 2017 Orlando Pride, when they moved Allie Krieger into center back, like her as a center back being as mobile as she was, was able to kind of make up for Alana Kennedy, who wasn't as fast and as mobile. But, you know, Krieger would would run back against teams 
trying on the counter, and then by the time she shielded off the ball, the defense was in position for actually holding off. And I think Carrie Lawrence kind of fills that same role for the Pride in 2022. I'm I'm very interested to see how things will go this weekend because they'll be playing Kansas City, a team they played already in preseason, the first game of preseason. They haven't played since. Both teams are very, very, very different since then. And uh, Amanda said it as much this afternoon when I talked to her. You know, she's not even looking at that film when it comes to scouting this team anymore because they've changed so much. They're playing more of like a three in the back, five in the back kind of style versus what they played against Orlando, which was more of like a four in the back. So I think that the the changes to the team will be a bit more interesting on the Kansas City side and also because, well, both teams are missing players from that game that they played in preseason because of injury. So because of that, it should be a fun one. And it's at home. 6.30 kickoff at Exploria Stadium. I will not be at that game because, big breaking news, I will be on the call for the game internationally. <laughs> internationally. Yeah, internationally. Um, still on the call for it. I won't actually be. It's the funniest thing because I have to go to the, the studio to call the game. The big curtain reveal. Um, we're, we're calling the games from a studio, just so you know. So I have to drive down to the studio, which is three and a half hours away, to call a game that's in Orlando, which is 20 minutes away from me normally. It's fun. Anyways, um, outside of the Pride, OCB does not play. Actually, I don't... They don't play... They haven't played since their... Well, their their game was canceled. They haven't played it since the New England Revolution game when they hosted right after the uh, Orlando City game against the Red Bulls. So April 24th was their last game. Their next game is next Monday against the Philadelphia Union 2 in Philly. And then they play Miami on the 21st at home. So that'll be an interesting one for sure. All right. Let's talk about some other random MLS stuff going around. Uh, First off, the Seattle Sounders won the CONCACAF Champions League. First time an MLS team has won CCL. Good for them. Just, you know, now now fans have to deal with more Sounders fans because all they've known is success ever. Yeah, Seattle fans, uh, they're a special breed. Hmm. Very special indeed. Uh, who's the next team to break the glass ceiling and, and head off to the promised land of camp- Champions League final Ooh, championship? That's, that's an interesting question, actually. I mean, in terms of like teams that have that are set up for relatively long term success, I feel like either the LA teams, right? Galaxy in the iffy last couple of years, but traditionally, I would think LAFC has a very decent shot. Yeah, oh, I, I feel like LAFC is way less questionable than LA Galaxy. Yeah, I, but I'm wondering. I'm trying to just trying to think about who like a, a left field pick might be. Maybe maybe a team like Philadelphia. Hmm. I just think the thing with a lot of the teams like that is is that they they don't have a consistent uh, development enough that it translates onto the field like for a long enough period of time. You know what I mean? So like when teams like Philly get young talents that that are contributing a lot, they also then it tends to they tend to leave, which is not ideal. 
I feel like I feel like a team there could be a sleeper team that's like that, but for the most part, probably not. Yeah, I I, I think we'll we'll see kind of how this year plays out and if anybody really dominates. But I think that this year has certainly shown that MLS is is catching up to Liga MX and that they're competing a lot better. Yeah, at the at the very least, you know, yeah, you, I think the you gap, can say that. I think the gap has been closing for a couple of years anyway, but it's nice mm. to see those tangible results. Right, and that, even that's if it the is big thing. even if it is even if it is Seattle. Right. But yeah, uh, the rest of the U.S. Open Cup uh, from Tuesday night's games. Uh, Red Bulls defeated DC United pretty easily because, well, DC United's in shambles kind of right now. Louisville City beat Detroit City in extra time on penalties after uh, Detroit missed two of their four penalties that they took and wasn't great. Inter-Miami beat South Georgia Tormenta, the USL 1 team, 3-1. to one. However, that didn't stop head coach of Inter-Miami, Gary Neville, saying... Uh, I thought the performance was unacceptable. For full credit to the opposition, I thought they deserved to be in the next round. Uh, Neville also went on to say that the players, some players on the pitch tonight were asking me for game time, and this performance tonight was the reason they don't get it. I thought that was great. <laughs> uh, I was here for that. And a reminder, the, the final score was 3-1 to one in favor of Miami. Uh, also, Robbie Robinson, the striker for Inter Miami, got in a fist fight for one of the Georgia Tormented team players. That's so great. Uh, th- that that whole thing is such a mess. Boy, am I glad that no matter how, how, however, Orlando's situation is, at least we're not Miami. Hmm. It's true. At least you are not Miami. Last random kind of MLS related thing. It's more just world soccer related thing. Uh, FIFA, and not the governing body of soccer FIFA. I mean the video game FIFA. Not going to be called FIFA starting in 2023 when the 2024 version of the game comes out. Two decades of partnership between FIFA and EA Sports done after basically FIFA, the governing body, wanted more money from EA Sports and they said, you know what? We don't need you anymore. We're going to call ourselves EAFC. And so that's the new game of FIFA. will be called EAFC. doesn't roll off the tongue quite as easily as FIFA. Yeah, it's... Uh... I, I'm i fine with, with... Like, I get what EA is doing. It was a little bit funny where FIFA basically came out and said, yeah, no, the FIFA name is bigger. We're going to make our own game. Like, no, you're not. But okay. I mean, good luck in doing so. Yeah. So I, I I don't think it's going to change much other than I think potentially we see fewer like like I wonder what this is going to affect international licenses like will they have international teams on there Yeah uh this just only affects the name of the game it doesn't affect short, anything short term, within the game Short term short term short term Yes I'm I'm saying long term I still think that I still think this wouldn't affect it all things considered FIFA the video game currently EA Sports's game is still the biggest and the most comprehensive soccer video game out there. I think Pro Evolution, which is now called eFootball. Yeah, yeah. I think that's uh, a, it's second, but it's a very far away second. I've played the new game that they have. It's just, it's, it's, it's bad. It's so much worse than they used to be. I know. I don't know why. 
I enjoyed playing uh, eFootball like 2018 or 19. Like it felt so much better comparatively. And also, but the fact that they made it free to play is is nice because it's it's it opens up an opportunity for you know fans to play. Um, but it it's not fun to play. So doesn't really make it worth it. <laughs> well, and I think I think some of the the issues just in terms of how good it is <laughs> has come from it being free to play. I think in general free to play games tend to have less there's a limit, yeah. I mean you can buy packs and everything, but also there's like no there's no quick play. You can't play as like you can't play against the computer, you can't play against anyone locally. It's all online. So like there's limitations to, to what you can do in eFootball. Now, they did just add uh, MLS, which isn't actually MLS. <laughs> what is it? What is it called? Oh, um, God, what do they call it again? It was something kind of really funny. I'm trying to remember what it was. I think it was just called American League. And Orlando City is called Orlando PW. Awesome. Which is Orlando Purple White. That's That's top tier. I love it. Okay, so um, here's the other. You want to guess what some of the other names are for the the teams for the American League in eFootball? No, no, I don't. I don't want to make an attempt. It seems like something I would not. All right, uh, Charlotte FC is called Charlotte BBGW. Chicago is Chicago RW. LA Galaxy are Los Angeles WBY. LAFC is Los Angeles BY. Miami is called Miami BP. Basically, it's just it's just colors. That's that's really all it is. It's like green and white for Portland. So Portland GW, Philadelphia Union, BY. Uh, yeah, you get the idea. Uh, the fun thing about the eFootball though is not the MLS league, but USL. You get USL Championship in Pez. Well, in in eFootball, which I think is just really cool to have that representation in a video game for the minor league. Anyways, that is uh that is all I wanted to talk about with all that. I'd love to see that in like a better game. Yeah. But well, it's time to wrap up the show with our usual stuff. First, we've got where are they now? Then we'll go into weird news and red cards slash playing advantage. So, Kyle where are they now? Do you want to do... I, we've done City for the last couple of times. Why don't we go with an Orlando Pride player? How about that? All right. Looking back at the Orlando Pride, where is Christina Birkenrod? Yeah. That's a name you probably haven't remembered. <laughs> Christina Birkenrod who only played five games for the Orlando Pride in their inaugural season, eight games through their first two seasons. She played five in their first, two, three in their second. She is currently playing in Monterey in the Liga MX Femenini. Femenil. Femenil? Femenil. Um, she is a dual citizen of Mexico and America. Uh, born and raised in uh, Santa Clara, like San Diego area. Uh, went to Cal State Fullerton. And um, after being waived in middle of 2017 by the Pride, 
she went and played in Norway, then played in the Czech Republic, where she dominated. She played 42 games and scored 46 goals in the Czech Republic, which also earned her a uh, opportunity to play in Mexico, where she signed in July of 2020. Since then, she has played 57 games for Monterey and scored 22 goals. And that is where they now with former Pride draftee Christina Birkenrode. Not bad, not bad. Yeah. Always nice to see somebody who was necess- not, didn't necessarily get the chance to play uh, in NWSL making her waves in her own way. But yeah, she was a really interesting story. I remember covering her at the very beginning of her career, and like she was homeless for for a time uh, growing up because uh, when she was like four or five years old, her mom died, and her father was like suffering from depression, and it just got like too much for them. So she was living on the streets for a little while. Um, but you know, ended up getting a scholarship to Cal State Fullerton, and then getting drafted to the Pride. So she's she's making her own way in in life now after kind of going through some hardships. So always nice to see with Christina Birkenrode. Uh, I believe she actually wrote a book as well. That's you genuinely do love to see it. Indeed, indeed you do. All right, that is where are they now. Now it is time for weird news. Kyle, what weird news do you have for us this week? Boy, am I prepared, all right? Northeast Philly Catholic School accidentally sold Mother's Day flowers stuffed with thongs. The custom on Mother's Day is to give flowers, a relatively simple gesture of love that looks pretty and smells nice. This isn't very hard to get right, and if you don't want to pay a florist a fortune, there are street vendors all over Philadelphia who will happily supply your Mother's Day needs. Somehow, a Catholic grade school in far northeast Philly managed to put together a Mother's Day flower sale that included lingerie stuffed into faux roses. St. Ansium School, uh, you don't need to give their address, which shows about 250 students from pre-K through 8th grade mistakenly sold fake roses that had red thongs folded inside the flowers. Uh, Family shared the discovery on social media. They thought it was funny. I'm sure there were others that maybe did not. You can buy a bouquet of these lacy panty roses for uh, $5.45 at Theon Apparel. There is a link to the Chinese e-commerce website where you can buy it along with plenty of bootleg Eagles and Sixers jerseys, apparently, according to this <laughs> very Philly-centric article. It's, uh, all right, then. So here's a very f- kind of Florida man story. Th- this, uh, this was very interesting. Just a couple days ago, a man... Uh, a passenger with no absolutely no flying experience managed to land a plane at a airport in Florida after the pilot became incapacitated. Um, quote, I have no idea how to fly the airplane. Um, the pilot on a single engine Cessna 208 had gone incoherent and the passenger was telling air traffic controllers uh, they have a serious situation. So he was talked down on how to fly the plane. And uh, he said the landing was 10 out of 10. And he was happy that nobody got hurt. So good for them. Good thing no one got hurt. Yeah. Other weird news stories, just to kind of read the headlines. Uh, Migrating turtles don't really know where they're going. Study shows. Um, Same. Yeah. Uh, Man dies digging grave for the woman he killed. Also sounds about right. Vancouver wishes happy Mother's Day to goose, then replaces eggs with infertile decoys. All right. 
have so many questions about lots of things that I know will not be answered, but I have the questions. Yeah. They're not necessarily worth answering. Okay. Outside of that, it is time to go into red card slash playing advantage. So, Kyle, do you have any of those? I do. I'm going to play advantage to Samuel Raimi for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Top tier movie. I enjoyed every second of, of my time with it. Very, very good. Yeah, I think I need to say it again because I'm not 100% sure uh, how I thought it went. Probably need to see it again. That's that's my thoughts on it. Um, I'm going to play a red card to Judd Apatow. Speaking of movies, uh, he wants to make Superbad 2. And nobody needs that. Just, just, just no. Um, Seth Rogen, Michael Sarah, like all of those actors are old now. That only worked because they were teenagers. He was like, oh, yeah, let's just bring everyone back and make a super bad too. And it's like, no, you're, you're, you're 20 years late. <laughs> it's just nobody wants that. Nobody needs that. Please stop. <sighs> That's my red card. All right. I guess we're done here. Any final things to add to the show before we call it a day? No. That's actually, that's actually it. Beautiful. Hey, I, look at that. Was, we're under an hour. I could stall for another four minutes if you'd like. Oh, we, listen, we could go on for another hour talking about nonsensical inside baseball stuff, but I don't know if anyone needs to hear that. I did watch baseball over the weekend. The Pirates lost a series to the MLB worst Cincinnati Reds. So, yeah, life is life is... I mean that that entire division is just bad. Yeah, uh, just some are worse, some than, are worse others, than others. Yeah. All right, and on that note, um, <laughs> thanks for tuning in to another edition of the uh, Orlando Soccer Show. Uh, for Kyle Foley, I am Austin David. We appreciate you tuning in. As always, we will be back next week to talk about Orlando City and Pride, and uh, even OCB because they play on a monday so thanks for tuning in we'll see you later you're dirty brown water trash and you're always going to be dirty brown water trash